What's your thing? You have one, right? You've got a thing. Maybe your thing is soccer. So you love watching the premiership. I don't really understand all the breakdowns in soccer. It's very confusing. There's the Premier League, and then there's UEFA, and then I just don't understand. I mean, I watched the World Cup, and growing up in Jerusalem, I uh, watched Beitar Yerushalayim. That was our Jerusalem team. Israelis are crazy for soccer. And uh, Jerusalem's a small enough urban center that when Beitar was playing, you could hear them screaming. And as kids, I've already told you I was kind of a criminal growing up, and so we would just sneak our way into the games. We'd just go to the stadium, crawl under the fence, and join the throng screaming for Beitar Yerushalayim. But soccer's not my thing. I grew up playing it and basketball. It's not my thing. Maybe it's yours. What's your thing? Maybe your thing is fixing things. I was thinking about Kevin Brown this week, sweet man who will welcome you at the door. If you've never met him, he's worth meeting. When we were moving here to Guelph when we first took this church, he showed up one day in his slacks and his dress shirt because he, like me, is also a former Pentecostal, and that's what Pentecostals wear. It's either a suit or slacks and a dress shirt. That's why he's programmed. He can't help himself. So he showed up at my house in slacks and a dress shirt to change the tap on my sink so we could sell our house. For Kevin Brown, fixing things is kind of his thing. Right? One of Dan Gamble's things is making me awesome granola. It disappears in two days. It disappears into my belly. What's your thing? What's your thing? For me, Jesus is my thing. He's been my thing since I was 11. He's so much my thing that I always tell everybody about him right away. Doing a voiceover session downtown Toronto a couple weeks ago. So, Todd, what do you do when you're not doing this? I said, I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they always go. <laughs> I'm right out front about it. I tell my football players, I'm like, I want you to put the fear of Jesus on these kids come game day. And they're like, what? How does that work? You've heard me preach about Jesus from Revelation. He can be pretty fearsome. I'm real upfront about that. Jesus is my thing. Nikki is my thing. My kids are my thing. Sailing is my thing. Football is my thing. That's it. I don't golf anymore. I used to love cars. I kind of don't fixate on them anymore. I used to have lots of shoes. Now I have like, I don't know, one pair that I wear, maybe two. What's your thing? See, I don't really do much else besides my thing. Why? Because I've found it. I've found my thing. Have you found yours? What's your thing? Why do I eschew other things and and do that thing or those few things? Why? Because I want to be awesome at it. Like I'm talking awesome, like awesome. I would say freaking awesome, but I don't want you to think I said something else. Awesome. So I focus. Do you focus on your thing? What's your thing? Psalm 150 has a suggestion for us this morning. The suggestion is this. How about you do what you've always been meant to do? How about it? How about you discover your life mission? You're like, this is a good Sunday. I should have brought my friend. Yes, you should have. Bring him next week. What's my mission? What's my thing? Okay, preacher, you got me. What am I supposed to do? You are supposed to, in the words of Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 
Somebody said. Amen. I will betray my bias. I have a bias in my preaching that is rooted in Psalm 150. I believe that when Psalm 150 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, it is not pretending. In fact, I believe that this imperative is so strong, I'm betraying my theological position here, I believe that this imperative is literally built into the fabric of the universe itself. I believe that this command is so strong and so imperative that nobody can stand against it despite their best efforts. This is why the Olympic opening ceremonies praise the Lord, even though you can bet that nobody around the board table that planned those ceremonies was saying, how can we glorify the risen Christ with this ceremony? This is why yesterday, when Bianca Andrescu began turning the corner and beating Sarita Williams, I started weeping. Why? Because I saw the glory of God in how these two women were fighting to the death over this match. Could I get one witness? Did anybody else feel that way? I felt like I was watching a holy moment. Not because our girl was winning, but because I was watching two women made in the image of God act like the warrior God, treating a game like it mattered. Anytime any human does anything like it matters, they are giving glory to God, even though they may not acknowledge Him. This is why real Jesus people don't obsess too much about the fracture between sacred and secular because they know that the God of the Bible is much, much bigger than any human-made fracture between sacred and secular. When he says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, he's not playing games. So this one phrase drives my theology in a way that is absolutely systemic. This is why I'm not threatened by worldliness. This is why I do not picket or get involved in political conversations. This is why I don't think that our job is to correct people. This is why I don't spend much time trying to teach people to be good because I believe that at the root of the human experience there is a genetic predisposition built into us to praise the Lord. And it's just waiting for an opportunity to burst forth like a geyser. And so our entire job as Christians is to craft experiences, moments, whether it's the Sunday worship experience, whether it's your small group, whether it's one act of kindness shown to your neighbor, our job is to craft those moments that the Holy Spirit can jump onto to awaken people to the reality that lies at the root of their existence, that they have been made for God and that he is meant to be the apex of their experience. I didn't write any of that. That just kind of happened. Praise the Lord. Praise occurs 13 times in a six-verse psalm. Him, the Lord, God, also occurs 13 times in a six-verse song. That's the kind of symmetry that freaks you out when you're a preacher. You kind of go, oh, wait a minute. This is the big idea here. Jesus is meant to be your number one thing. Yes, I'm preaching Psalm 50 like a Christian, not a rabbi. Okay, I'm aware. Hallelujah. In the Jewish world, they are praising the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But I am a Christian. I praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, Three in one. I am a Trinitarian. I believe that God is one God expressed in three persons. 
So when I hear Lord in the Jewish scriptures, I know who it's really talking about. <laughs> Jesus is meant to be your number one thing. So my question to you this morning is simple. Is he? Is Jesus your number one thing? I firmly believe, and here again we get to something that is theologically bedrock for me. I firmly believe from observation, from theology work, from biblical work, I believe that nothing really works in life until you get Jesus in his rightful place in yours. My wife testified. Can someone else testify? Have you seen this operative in the world around you? Nothing really works until you get Jesus in his rightful place. I thank the Lord I get to preach this sermon again in an hour. Put him in his rightful place. How do I know this is true? Have you noticed that the people in your life tend to flit from thing to thing? I used to be into golf, now I'm into tennis. I used to be a vegetarian, now I'm on the, what's that new diet where you only eat? I'm on the keto diet now. They used to be left, now they're right. They used to be right, now they're left. Who knows what we are anymore? Have you ever noticed that people flit from relationship to relationship? Have you heard the term serial monogamy? Do you know that this is the new normal for the generation that my children represent? The concept of marriage is like, why would I do that? Have you seen this pattern echoed in your friends' lives? Mini marriage after 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 mini marriage, but the two shall become one flesh. What's the problem? Mini marriage, divorce, mini marriage, divorce, mini marriage, divorce, mini marriage, divorce. What does God say about divorce? He hates it. Now, if you've been divorced, that does not mean he hates you. He hates the evil that is at work in the world that laid waste to that relationship that was at the center of your experience as a human being. He loves you. He hates what's been done to you. Kids, kids, I don't want to look at you to make you feel embarrassed. I'll close my eyes. Kids, please listen to your pastor who loves you. Please do not enter into a series of marriages. So that by the time you're 30, you're worn out, used and expended, burnt out, turned off. Please don't do it. Have you noticed that people go from high to high, obsession to obsession? I am kind of obsessed with Taylor Swift's new album. <laughs> if I was a man, then I'd be a man. I am kind of like feel a little bad that the feminist anthem is the one I like most on the album. The girl can write, and I see the glory of God in her writing ability, which is why I love Taylor Swift. Yeah, I said it. I said it. You know why people do this? Move from thing to thing? Hear me now. Important point. Because they're wired for worship, but they haven't found the right God yet. So, like, these people are not bad people. Right? You know this. Your friends aren't bad people. Your kids who don't love Jesus, they're not bad people. 
Your neighbor who hates you because you love Jesus, even he's not a bad person. They're wired for worship. They haven't found the right God yet. Psalm 150 is working to help you get your mind right. Listen to the imperatives here. And you decide who the focal point is. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Who's it about? Somebody tell me. Who's it about? Somebody say it louder. Who's it about? It's about God. It's about him. I might get a little loud here. I'll try and control myself. He is the object of praise. So when you holler for the Guelph Griffins, you do so to the ultimate glory of God. Make sure in your moments of lesser praise that you keep his highest praise in the center of your heart. Then the redemptive work of God infects your experience of lesser things. He is the object of praise. He is the root of holiness. Do you see that in the text? In his sanctuary. What is the sanctuary? It is the most holy place. I thought a theological thought here that's somewhat provocative. Of course I'm going to say it. If God is omnipresent and he is the root of holiness, where is holy? Did you hear what Nikki said? Say it louder. Everywhere! Can you rock with me? That's some sick theology right there. If he's the root of holiness and he is everywhere present, then everywhere is holy. Are you thinking about all the what ifs? Good. Wrestle with it this week. Because he owns the heavens. Right? They're his mighty heavens. He owns the heavens itself. You think any lesser place here in terra firma is outside the sovereign work of God that he's somehow lost control, that his hands are off the wheel and he's falling asleep and the, the world's just swerving this way and that? No. He who keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. He owns the heaven and he is the manly man at the root of all right action. Praise him for his mighty deeds. I always point this out because it's important for us to understand that God is not some soft and gentle God to be trifled with. His mighty deeds here, again, has the word givor in it, which I've told you before means mighty man of valor. The reason I emphasize mighty man of valor so much is because that's the kind of God I'd be willing to lay my life down for. That's the kind of God I'd be willing to lay my dreams down for. That's the kind of God I'd be willing to obey. The mighty God who underlies all right action. He deserves 
to be praised because only he is excellent. So praise the Lord. Now, look, it may take you five years or five decades to fully understand, embrace, absorb and walk out these five big ideas. He's the object of praise. He's the root of holiness. He owns the heavens. He's the manly man at the root of all right action. He deserves to be praised because only he is excellent. It may take you some time to understand, absorb, embrace, and walk these out. But until you do, keep this in mind, until that moment that you absorb these five, your life will be to some degree aimless. Can you rock with me this morning? To whatever degree we do not absorb these five great truths, our life is therefore aimless. At what percentage are you operating? This does not mean that God does not love you. This does not mean that your salvation is in jeopardy. But the wages of sin is still death. And the degree to which you fail to place God at the apex of your experience as a human is the degree to which you will find yourself wandering. Yeah, I said it. Why? Because God is the intended target of all your efforts. He's the intended target. Now we get to the how. Consider verses 3 through 6. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So look, when I looked at this for the first time last week, I thought there's nothing to preach here. Then I looked at it again on Tuesday. Then I looked at it again on Tuesday night. Then I looked at it again on Wednesday morning. Then I looked at it again on Wednesday afternoon. Then I looked at it again on Wednesday night. And all of a sudden, it made itself plain to me. And I saw that, yes, friend, there is in fact something here to preach. The high praises of God are interdisciplinary and egalitarian. I'll show you how I came to that one. Because again, that is some seriously incendiary theology right there. Praise him with the trumpets. Who used the trumpets? Anybody know besides me and John Fairchild? Seriously, put your hand up if you know who used the trumpets. I'm not trying to talk down to you. Yes, the priests. The priestly caste used the trumpets. Who were the priestly caste in Jerusalem? They were the elite. So let the elite caste of society praise the Lord. If you're elite, you are welcomed to the banqueting table of Christ and you are commanded to praise the Lord. Praise him with lute and harp. Who played the lute and harp in biblical times? Who's the most famous one who played the lute and harp? King, when he was a when he was a boy and a shepherd, who are marginalized in Jewish society. Women, slaves, and children, and shepherds. Who are the shepherds? They're the working class. And they're like the lowest of the low of the working class. So, ha, ha. Praise him with the lute and harp. Who would have been using lute and harp by this point in Jewish history? Not the shepherds, but the court musicians. Who were the court musicians? Those who had studied music all their life. Who are those who study music all their life? The artsy, gentle people. I know, because I'm a musician, and I'm artsy and gentle. <laughs> it's true, I used to play piano and trombone, and I play the drums. You know I love to sing. But think about art school. Think about the artsy, gentle people. Think about the people at um, your yearly music awards. Right? Think about the people that you think church isn't for. 
It's for them. Could you rock with me this morning? I hope so. Because <laughs> even if you just like to strum your guitar quietly, you have been invited to praise the Lord. Praise him with tambourine and dance. You know who this refers to? All the skillless people like me. You know what the tambourines were in Judaism? They still exist in Jerusalem to this day. It's like a little drum with a string through the middle and little um, pieces of wood on the end and a dowel shot through it so you can spin it. When you spin it, it goes... Anybody can do it. And biblical dancing is not ballet. You can worship God with ballet. In fact, every time I've been to the ballet, I start crying because I see the glory of God in those dancers dancing. But this kind of dancing, Riley, yes, it does include me. Someone who is not necessarily prone to bust a move, but who can do this. That is biblical dancing. Anyone can do it. Tell me this isn't the best thing you heard in at least a week. Every week I say, it's the best thing I ever wrote! Best thing I ever wrote! So the high praises of God are interdisciplinary and egalitarian. Praise Him with lute and shepherd's pipes. Where did the shepherds get their pipes in antiquity? They made them themselves. Because they had no money to hire a craftsman to make them for them. So even if you feel disqualified because of the station of your birth, know this, all you need to do is what you can do with what God gave you. Because there is room for you, too. Am I smiling enough this morning? Yes, I am! Why? Because the high praises of God are interdisciplinary and egalitarian. Praise him! Where's Will Gamble at? Where are you at, Will? He's probably listening right there. Praise him! Woo! With clashing cymbals and sounding loud cymbals. All you big personalities and all you outgoing types like me and Sue Bitten and Jenny Wilkes. All you people who like to make noise and whose lives are a whirling dervish of energy and activity, guess what? There is room for you at the banqueting table and you too have been called to worship God. Are you rich? Do you have more resources than the rest of us combined? Then spend your money on making some symbols for some people so they can praise the Lord. This is what a symbol represents craftsmanship and bronze which was expensive and hours and hours and hours for an artisan to hammer it out if you have resources to deploy into the kingdom of god what are you waiting for do it if you're already doing it do more of it because we need more clashing symbols for will gamble to play to the glory of god and i'm just speaking figuratively but not when it comes to your involvement Whoever you are and however you live, whatever your preference for loudness or quiet,
fitness or achievement or whatever your uh, preference for contemplation or busyness or peace. No matter your status, your age, your gender, your orientation, or your past, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And last time I checked, everything meant everything. I should have chose Lauren Hill. Everything is every. I should have chosen that, but it's still a good post-service song. <sighs> let everything that has breath. Praise the Lord. Verses 3 through 5 paint a picture of a loud song and ceaseless motion. You know where this led me? This led me back to my metaphysics electives at U of T a million years ago where I read the Dancing Wooly Masters. And yes, it was an Eastern mystic tome. And yes, you know, that's not necessarily all about Jesus, but I already told you that the imperative to praise Jesus is bigger even than the Eastern mystics. So when I learned, courtesy of the Dancing Wooly Masters, that even at a molecular level, the human experience is an experience of ceaseless motion, and then I come to Psalm 150 and I see an experience of ceaseless motion, I get to tell you because it's the best day of my life that even at a molecular level, you are praising the Lord. So look, how about we make an agreement not to let our atoms outpraise us. I could have called this sermon Atomic Praise. Tell me that's not the best thing you've heard, at least in a week. Catch up with your cells. Verses 3 through 5 paint a picture of joyful procession. And where, pray tell, are we marching to? Uh, let me tell you where we are marching to. By faith. Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city who has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And now that we mention it, what, pray tell, might that city be like? For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. You're not coming to Mount Zion anymore. You're not coming to the law anymore. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said to the Lord, I tremble with fear, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable number of angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel my dearest friends Jesus has invited you home and what does your home look like I need to read you the entire chapter today and thank God I have a few minutes remaining this is what your home looks like now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I don't know if I'll be able to sit for this whole thing. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and women, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Vemacha kol dim'am inenehem 
והמוות לא יהיה עוד, ואין אבל וצעקה, ואין כואב, כי הראשונות חלפו ואינם. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life Freely to everyone who thirsts, those who overcome shall inherit all things. I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. That's the church that's you and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God having the glory of God her light was like a most precious stone like a jasper stone clear as crystal and she had a great and a high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and the names written on them which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel three gates on the east three gates on the north three gates on the south three gates on the west now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Their names were written there. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city is laid out like a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, twelve thousand furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, one hundred and forty-four cubits according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel, which means we're the same size as angels, by the way. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. The second was sapphire. The third chalcedony. The fourth emerald. The fifth sardonyx. The sixth sardius. The seventh chrysolite. The eighth beryl. The ninth topaz. The tenth chrysophrase. The eleventh jacinth. And the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So, how do I get my name in that book? You ask Jesus to save you. You tell Him you believe in Him after all. And you ask that His work at the cross where He suffered and died in your place for your sin might once and for all be applied to your life. And you say to him, I'm yours now. Do with me as you will. You say, fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. And lead me home. So friend, come on home. And worship team, you can join me on stage. Yes, I said it. Come on home. To a place where God is the object of praise. Where he is the root of holiness. 
Come on home to some place heavenly, owned by the manly man God who is the foundation of everything good. Come on home to him who invites, nay, commands everyone to come taste and see that is good. Come on home, friends, to a crowd of atomic praise and a joyful procession. Come home to who you were always meant to be and learn what you were always meant to do. Praise the Lord.